this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, so we have been in this teaching series called The Locusts. How many of you were here last week? How many of you were here the week before? Wasn't Jake awesome last week, by the way? So good to have him in and uh, have him speak into our church a little bit. But we've been in this series talking about how to live in God's economy and not the world's, right? How to keep the locusts at bay. The locusts are the things that eat up our crops and our profits and our God-given provision. The first step, as we talked about week one, was tithing. Giving 10% of your income to God is unequivocally the way to show God that you trust him and only him with your finances, right? And it's the basis that we build everything else on, all right? If you didn't hear that message the first week, locust number one, please go back to the podcast or the YouTube channel or fe.church slash online because we're, we're building here. You got to listen to that first message to really understand the rest. We're building on tithing, not instead of tithing, not around tithing, on tithing. We always build upon tithing. It is the basis. It is the bare minimum, believe it or not. The bare minimum in what God asks of you with your finances. The Bible actually calls non-tithing church attenders thieves. It's a harsh word. The Bible's word, not mine. That's what it calls them. It's when you come into the house of God, you bring an offering worthy of a God who can provide. That is the point. Right? A God who wants to provide for his house and for you. That is his heart behind it. And if you don't do that, then you're just looking to take, looking to get, looking to steal. And that's the honest biblical truth of it. I know most of us don't, if, if we don't tithe, it's usually out of fear. Right? So it feels like, you know, I'm just not there yet. Just not making enough money yet, whatever the excuse is. But the reality is we don't trust God enough with it. That's the reality. So we're building upon that foundation here. I'm not going to go back through all of that today. That's week one. Last week, Pastor Jacob talked about how our heart is very much tied to our finances, right? It's about where our heart is in all of this. He said, uh, one of the things that will stick with me, he said, we shouldn't just assume that we don't have a greed problem, right? Jesus talked more about greed than about lust. Just because we don't have a lot of money does not mean we don't have a greed problem. He said, where is your heart? Is your heart a generous giver? Is your heart anchored in Jesus or in your money? Such a good message. Go back and listen to that one too if you haven't already. Uh, But before we get into today's message, I want you to hear another testimony. How many of you love when we share testimonies? Testimony weekend, just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, go ahead and come on up, Rich, wherever you are. Make your way up here. Uh, Rich Randall gave a testimony on Testimony Weekend um, a couple of weeks ago, but he came to me last week and he said, you know what? I left a part out. <laughs> Forgot a part. And go ahead and come on up a while. Uh, he is absolutely, his testimony was a tithing one, if you remember. He is living in the blessings of his obedience from years ago now, but he came to me last week. He said, I left a part out and I want to share that. And it happens to be the piece that I want to teach on today. So I'd like him to go ahead and share that. Can you share that with us, Rich? Good morning. (laughs) I guess I can be brief because Candace said half of what I was going to say. Oh, oops. (laughs) Yes. um, I left out a 
an important um, factor that brings everything together. Uh, I had mentioned that God um, God brought me out of uh, poverty and uh, desperation into a new life. Um, I had uh, I had this uh, pastor, my first pastor, teach me about tithing. But there was another thing he taught me about in um, in the old way of doing things. At the end of uh, the pay period, there was never any money left over for the church. I mean, if I could scrape up five bucks, that was a lot. Um, but the new way, I, I call it first fruits, in, um, especially in the Old Testament, there's an awful lot about that, about mm -hmm. the Lord asking for the first of the crop at the harvest, the first and the best of your lambs and bulls. Yeah. Well, how does that relate to me? Well, my fruits are the paycheck. I'm paid for my labor. And first fruits means to me, uh, or what I was kind of taught by this pastor, is that immediately on payday, I write out the check to the church. So I'll, I write out 20 bucks instead of, you know, the five that I was scraping together. And uh, sure enough, at the end of the pay period, I, I made it through. I, I, I paid all my expenses. And um, in fact, maybe there's five or ten bucks left over for me to go have a have a big dinner. Not today. You don't get a big dinner for ten bucks today. <laughs> so, um, so first fruits really served me well. It it made it possible to use the gifts that the Lord was giving me and not end up at the end of the pay period with nothing. So that's that. Good. Thank you. Thank you, Rich. First fruits, that's what I want to talk about today because it is this important concept in biblical giving that I think we throw around this term occasionally, first fruits, and we don't often actually explain it. This is one of those that we throw around, we don't fully explain often. So, what is first fruits in the Bible? What exactly does that mean? Why is it good for the average churchgoer to know? These are the questions we're going to answer today. Are you ready? Leviticus 23.10 is where we first hear of first fruits in the Bible. So we're going way back, all right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Now, I would argue it's not quite the first time we hear of the concept, but the, the first uh, the time we hear of the phrase, okay? So we're going to read Leviticus 23.10. Give the following instructions. There we go. To the people of Israel, when you enter the land I'm giving you, this is the promised land, by the way, Israel. You're hearing about it constantly in the news. I sent something out to partners this week about how to pray for Israel. I have an additional section in the notes. We're not going to get, we could talk all day about that. We're not going to get super into that. But if you're praying for Israel right now, and I hope you are, check out those sermon notes. I'll give you just some, some ways to direct your prayer for them. But yeah, the, the promised land. When you enter the land I'm giving you and you harvest its first crops, bring the priests a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. Some um, 
Translations say sheaf, a sheaf of grain, a bundle of grain, a batch, a portion, right? It's not super specific, is it? What's a bundle? What's a sheaf? I had to look that word up. <laughs> I didn't know what a sheaf was, but it's a, it's a bundle, a batch, a portion. The concept of, of first fruits is rooted in biblical times when people lived in a very agrarian society. They were farmers, right? Harvest time was significant, still is significant to farmers because that's when the hard work that they put into their crop begins to pay off, right? We all understand this idea. They were literally reaping what they sowed and God asked for the first bit of it. God called his people to bring the first yield, the first fruits from their harvest to him as an offering. This was to demonstrate the Israelites' obedience and reverence for their God. It's very specific. It was a um, very, there's, what's the word I'm searching for? It's a very specific instruction in the Bible that's important to God. The way that it happens complex process and an important one. I learned this week, actually, the Hebrew word for first fruits is bikurim. Everybody say bikurim. Bikurim. B-I-K-K-U-R-I-M. Bikurim. It literally translates to promise to come. First fruits promise to come. The Israelites saw these first fruits as an investment into their future because of something God promised them. It was them calling out to God to keep their promise to them. It was literally an act of faith. God told them if they brought their first fruits to him, he would bless all that came afterward. And they were demonstrating that they believed him by giving them. Does that make sense? We're no longer in an agrarian-based society. Most of us aren't farmers, and some of us around here obviously are, but most of us aren't. Most of us hearing this today are probably not living in a harvest of any sort right now. You likely don't have to worry about harvest time or giving away the first yield of your crops, but what does it mean for us? Just like Rich said, what does it mean for us? Now, I've always lived in a pastor's household, and so I know that there are some people who take this literally, very literally. There were some people growing up who would leave items at our back door from their gardens. The first thing that they harvested would go to their pastor, and it's so sweet. I always viewed it as such a blessing, even if I didn't like the eggplant or, you know, onions or whatever as a kid, whatever was at our door, I always saw it as such a blessing, such an amazing wonder that people would do that for their pastor. They saw it as obedience and they wanted to, to give that. We've been given bologna, right, at the beginning of deer season or um, a glass Glass bottles full of milk and bacon were at Christmas last year or the year before. Uh, super sweet. Just random things sometimes, but so sweet. Like, it, it warms my heart, actually. And I thank God for it and take it seriously because it's sacred to me. People are honoring God with their first fruits. Giving it to their pastor, it's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. So is that what that means? Do I have to give out of my garden? Like, what, what's, what if I don't hunt or garden or have a cow? Right? What is, does it mean I have to give my little tiny cucumber from my one cucumber plant in my backyard? What's going on here? Look, even if you don't have any of those things, the idea of first fruits is still relevant today. It just takes on a little bit of a new meaning. So what is that new meaning? Just like Pastor Jake said last week, it comes down to a heart issue. 
just like we said the first week of this series, it has little to do with our physical status and everything to do with our heart. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, Proverbs 3, 9 says. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Right, we see the term first fruits initially mentioned, um, or the concept of it, in the book of Exodus when Moses is leading God's people out of captivity in Egypt. God instructed the Israelites to give up the first of their crops so they could understand the value of God's blessings. It, it sort of takes on its own culture and becomes a term from there. It doesn't end there, though. The, the, throughout the first five books of the Bible, Moses brings up the idea a total of 13 times. It was an essential teaching for his people to understand. It was important. It goes on from there. It's mentioned throughout the Old Testament. It's even referenced in the New Testament books. But in the New Testament, it takes on a bit more of a symbolic meaning. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Paul mentions Christ as the first fruits of all those who have fallen asleep. The NLT actually says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Jesus was God's first fruit. His one and only son, the best humanity had to offer. God gave Jesus, who was raised up from the dead for us in the same way that we sacrifice. We let it die, right? We let it be sown into the ground of the church. Not thinking anything should ever come back to us, but God does provide back, doesn't he? What started as a specific instruction for bringing crops to the temple priests was expanded on later in Scripture. It no longer refers to only literal fruit. First fruits can mean any income, wealth, or blessings that a Christian has received over the course of the year. In fact, I have news for anyone who is thinking that tithing, meaning specifically 10% of your income given to the church, news for you if you think that's too much, that God is asking too much, bare minimum. <laughs> the New Testament doesn't let you off the hook with tithing. It deepens this. It broadens it. 10% is actually the bare minimum. It's the lowest amount acceptable to the Lord. If you're not tithing, like I said earlier, the Bible actually calls you a thief. Jesus will ask you for so much more, by the way. Like, so much more. If you can't give 10%, what are you willing to give? Because he will ask you for everything. Your entire life lived out as a sacrifice to him. Get used to it. You want to follow him anyway. Get used to it. He will ask you to lay down your preferences, your sexuality, your parenting, your kids themselves. He will ask you to lay down your talents and abilities and your gifts, your home, your finances, your attitude problem. Your drinking and smoking habit, your, all of it. He's asking you to lay down all of it, eventually. Football. <laughs> I'll ask you to lay down football. <laughs> Look, people ask all the time. It's a common question. Can I still be a Christian and? <laughs> Fill in the blank, right? Date who I want, sleep with who I want, not tithe get drunk, watch too much football. I mean, can I still be a Christian and do these things? And the answer is you can for now, maybe a little while even. But at some point, 
I can't tell you when that point is, but at some point, Jesus will probably ask you, is it me or is it that? Is it me or is it that? What are you following here? Because all of those things, even good things, even blessings from God can become idols, like Jake said last week, right? We can put them ahead of God. We have the ability to do it with everything. I mean, good things. That's why I say he might ask you to offer up your kids because even blessings, amazing human blessings from God, he'll say, are you serving them or are you serving me? Are you serving your spouse or are you serving me? Come, follow me, Jesus said. Leave that behind. Come and follow me. And I see it over and over with people. There comes time for a decision. You may get away with it for a while, sure. Because Holy Spirit, it's called the process of sanctification, right? He draws us further and further. And (coughs) there's no real formula to it. He helps you figure those things out as you go. But at some point, he's going to say, leave it behind and follow me. And are you willing to do that? Following him means leaving it all behind. And first fruits is only a part of that. It's a way to say, God, I trust you with the rest. Right? I'm giving you the first, the best, because I trust you with the rest. It comes down to do you even think of God when you get a big blessing? Is he your go-to? Right? Or is it something else? Is it that thing I've been thinking about splurging on for months now? Is it a thing at all? Or is it him, the one who blessed you in the first place? I think a lot of us, we get a big blessing, a big windfall. We get that tax check in April or whatever. You know, we we get a big thing and we immediately go and spend it all and then think, oh, I didn't give any of that to God. He's not our first thought at all. This practice trains us to think of him first. And the first is significant. As a gardener myself, who gardens in here, right? Plant a little bit of tomatoes or that one cucumber, puny plant. Uh, I know that the first, first fruit is special. The first bite of tomato just hits different, doesn't it? In like June, they're finally, finally, you've been waiting all spring and you just wait and you wait and you wait. And usually for me, I'm like, wait, I plant, I wait, 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 wait. And finally that week, I'm like, you know what? I don't think they're coming up. I need to try again. I need to get stuff in the ground. And that's like the very next day, I start to see a little bit of green. Anybody else? No, I'm just impatient. Okay, thanks. It's me, but you know, I watch and I wait and I wait and I wait. It always seems like just when you've given up completely. But the first fruit is so much more special because you've been longing to taste it for weeks. By August, I'm drowning in tomatoes. I don't want to look at another tomato ever again in my whole life. God could have them all at that point. But that's my leftovers, right? That's the stuff I don't want. Is that the stuff that's worthy of God? What I don't want anymore? Is that what would be an acceptable offering to him? What I wouldn't use anyway? Are we meant to give God our leftovers? Just going to let that sink in. Because as a church, not our church, but the, the global church of the past, I'll just speak for my own life, 36 years. And as a pastor's kid, practically living in this building, I can tell you, people love to give the church leftovers. 
<laughs> Don't get me wrong. I love to eat leftovers out of the fridge, right? I'm not just harping on leftovers. Sometimes they're a great, useful thing. But we really love giving the church the stuff you don't want anymore. I, there's a problem with that in general. The first fruit idea comes in direct opposition to that idea. It should be a sacrifice. It should hurt a little. I was explaining this concept to my kids a little this week as we were picking what we were going to fast. Have you all been fasting past week? Picking what we were going to fast last week, and I was, I was explaining to them, it should hurt a little. <laughs> Don't fast something you wouldn't be eating anyway, right? Fast something that hurts a little bit. One of the things that I picked was candy because it's October, y'all. Candy abounds. There's candy everywhere. I love candy corn. <laughs> My home group knows this already, but I made an accident on Thursday. Matthew brought in candy corn specifically was like, Candace, I got you candy corn. And I ripped it open, started tearing into it. And I was late, like, 15 minutes later, I was like, Matthew, I'm fasting candy corn. Oh, I totally forgot. <laughs> it all went out the window in the face of candy corn, apparently. I'm helpless against it. Uh, but it, it should be a sacrifice. It should hurt a little because we're telling God we trust him over our bellies or our eyes in that case. We trust him over our bank accounts. We trust him over our harvest and our full cupboards and our paychecks. We trust him. This is a, It's a similar concept to tithing, but it goes beyond tithing. The difference between first fruits and tithing, we actually see a little bit of this in Ezekiel 44, 30. The first of the ripe fruits and all the gifts brought to the Lord will go to the priest. The first batch of dough must also be given to the priest. The Lord will bless your homes. Some versions of this say, so a blessing will rest on your house. Who doesn't want a blessing to rest on their household? I mean, all the blessings, God, right? So to give a tithe means that you're giving a tenth of your income to the church. Tithes are generally given as a practice. It's an ongoing sacrifice throughout the entire year. They're almost an automatic sense of obedience after you receive your income or you know, paycheck, commission, bonus, whatever. First fruits is a little bit different. First fruit offerings are typically an annual gift, not always, but typically an annual gift given to the church at harvest time because we're not harvesting crops. The harvest can mean different things to different people. Maybe you just got a bonus at work. Maybe you got a huge tax refund check. Maybe you save 15% or more on car insurance, whatever it is. Uh, some of us go through periods where there is more, right? There's a natural sort of abundance and rhythm that happens in our lives. Not everyone, but some of us. There are harvest time moments when your hard work paid off. In fact, I think tithers will experience more of this than most. If you're tithing, God blesses you. So expect him to. I mean, what does Malachi 3.10 say? We put up during offering time, right? I will open the windows of heaven for you. Pour out so much blessing you won't be able to handle it all. Where do you think the extra is supposed to go? Back into your pocket? Down your, into your belly? Hundreds of dollars worth of candy corn? <laughs> Nobody bring me candy corn this week. It hurts a little bit. Tithers will see more of this is my point. 
your tithing, God will bless you. Expect him to. And when we are blessed, we're meant to turn those opportunities back to God in gratitude. Turn them back to him in gratitude. Let him be the first one you think of when you get it. God, thank you. Here, I'm giving part of this back to you because I I appreciate it so much. Whenever you decide to make a first fruit offering, the important thing is that you do it freely. You're not doing it out of obligation or guilt. It's supposed to be a celebration of all that you've he has done for you. That that verse that says give freely. No, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. No, don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. People love the first part of that verse. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. So if I'm not giving because I want to, I just won't. The Bible says. But forget the second part. God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So it's not that my gift should change. It's my heart should. Don't give reluctantly. Give cheerfully. That's what that verse is saying. Give because you want to. We get to give. We don't have to give. It's an opportunity to give and give above the regular tithe. It's precisely when you have that windfall moment, when you get a big blessing, that's when you should be thanking God and giving that blessing back to him. The amount isn't specified, you'll notice. right? It's a sheaf, a bundle. It's not super specific. It's not a percentage like a tithe is. A lot of times people want to say, well, I tithe. I, I give whatever I can. That's not, that's not a thing. <laughs> That's not a tithe, right? Giving whenever you can. Like, like Rich said, when you give that way, you, there's not usually much left, right? When I give first, right, then I have plenty left over. I can't tell you how it works all the time. It just works. First fruits isn't specific like a tithe. It's a bundle. It's a sheaf. It's a portion. There's no set amount. The important thing is that you thank God with it. The importance is demonstrated in the Bible, even, this is what I meant when I said, even before that. So in the beginning with Cain and Abel, famous Bible story of Cain and Abel begins with two brothers who make an offering to God, right? You know the story? Cain brings some of his crops before the Lord, and Abel brings an offering of slaughtered animals. But there's a distinct difference between these two gifts. So I'm going to read it to you, Genesis 4, verse 3. When it was time for the harvest... Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Cain brings some fruit, some vegetables, probably something he had left over, and he's you know, he fed his family, he, he took what he needed, and then he probably brought what was left. But Abel brought the best of what he had to God, the firstborn of the flock, the healthiest of his animals. God notices a difference in your sacrifices. He's looking at the heart, remember. Right? He had a clear preference between the two. It comes down to the heart. Are we giving God our leftovers, or are we giving him the best? Are we approaching an offering to him with an attitude of entitlement and reluctance and annoyance? Like, how dare God ask me for my stuff? I worked so hard for this. This is outrageous. This is more than I can handle. This is unacceptable. Such a uh, burden serving God. Here's what I can spare from all my hard work. 
Does anybody want that gift? Would you want a gift if it was given to you like that? Or are we approaching it with, what can I possibly give the king of kings that would be good enough? Right? What would honor him the most? What would be worthy of him who has given me everything? You know, James says, James 1.17 says, whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. So every good and perfect thing that I have is from him. Everything. Everything, everything. Every good and perfect thing. Why wouldn't I want to honor him? Why wouldn't I want to praise him? Why wouldn't I want to offer sacrifices and make sure that I'm giving him something worthy of every good and perfect thing in my life? If you invited a special guest to your home, the president or, you know, your boss or some celebrity, I don't know, someone you valued and wanted to impress especially, wouldn't you prepare a little? Wouldn't you think about it carefully? Or would you just give them the leftovers from your fridge? You'd make a special meal. You'd prepare for days. You'd clean the house top to bottom. You'd want to make it worthy of them, right? Or is that just me? We want to make it worthy. We want to offer something that's good. This is the difference between Cain and Abel sacrifices, and it's the difference in what we're doing today. We bring God our leftovers sometimes, and it shows our hearts. The way that we prepare for Sunday morning, by the way, is another one of these examples. Are you giving him the leftovers on a Sunday morning? Are you barely scraping yourself into church? Or is Saturday night a preparation for Sunday morning? Going to church Sunday morning is not a Saturday night decision. It is a Saturday. What did I just say? Going to church Sunday morning is a Saturday night decision. You prepare for it the next day. If it's something that you value, you take it seriously. So many people, oh, I just can't. Pull the kids out of bed. We'll put them to bed early on Saturday. Leave the event early. Go home. Like, it's make it a priority. We're here at 7 a.m., by the way. Just all kids and all. My kids actually would rather get up earlier to come to church on Sunday morning than for school when they get up a little later through the week. They don't complain about Sunday mornings. They get up happily. Still haven't quite nailed down why but they love it here, and I love that. That's a thank you to all of you for making a place that they love. So how do we do this? I lost my place in my notes. Romans eleven sixteen. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy. Giving of our first fruits remind us that God is our ultimate priority, and it makes everything else we do with our finances holy. Since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy. Just as an entire batch of dough is holy, because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branches will be too. Don't you want everything you do with your finances to be holy? To be blessed? This is how we do that. We give generously, cheerfully to the God who gave it all to us in the first place. What does this practically look like? How do you determine when, how much, why you give as a first fruits offering? Well, it's going to look a little bit different for every single person, but it's it's why we're calling for that extra offering, the extra prayer, and the, the extra worship at the end of the month, right? You all heard this? Did I announce this enough by now? On the last 
Sunday night of the month, the 29th, 8th. You all don't know either, so I don't feel so bad anymore. I'm hearing both. 29th, Sunday, October 29th, 6 p.m., Heart for the House prayer and worship night. We're going to give an extra offering. We're going to sing our hearts out. We're going to ask God for provision in his house and in ours. Right? We're going to take everything we've been learning over this month and put it into practice that night. Because we want to be saying, God, we trust you. We trust you to have our backs. We trust you with our grocery bills and the $40 toilet paper. You will protect us from the locusts and and honor you with what we have. Really thank you for what we have. That's our first takeaway here today. Some of us need to get on our knees and start thanking God. If you're worried about your finances, pray about them. If you're worried about that $40 toilet paper and the grocery bills going up, pray about them. Have you prayed about it or have you just complained about it? I know my answer. I've done a lot of complaining publicly. But I'm, I want to be praying about it too. Are we just complaining angrily or are we praying? Because that's the number one takeaway here today. Pray. If your goal is obedience to God, it only makes sense that you would want to go to him first in prayer. Ask him what you should do with your money and resources, but be prepared to listen to what he says. I think most of us don't ask because we already know the answer. We know how we should be obedient. We're just not ready to do it yet. We got to ask, God, what do you have for me? What do you want me to be doing? Show me how things could be better if I can just have the faith in you. But here are a few more things we can take away from today. Number two, prepare. God calls us to be good stewards of the blessings that he has given us. That means knowing what we're able to give and when. It means having a plan in place for your offering. It means budgeting your money and where it goes. This is not, we're going to talk about this a little bit next week, but uh, stop being lazy about where your money is going. It's not a biblical idea. Approach each harvest time with an open mind and a generous heart and a plan. If you plan To tithe, you probably will. If you don't plan, probably won't. If you don't plan to give a first fruits offering, you probably won't. How's it go? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail, right? Make this a priority. Plan accordingly. Prepare, which number three is prioritize. The whole idea behind a first fruits gift is to put God first. Not somewhere in the middle. Not dead last, which is where he comes by default because we're busy. We hurry up our lives. We busy up our lives. Our lives are loud. I think Jake said that last week too, right? Whole idea behind a first fruit gift is to put him first. That may be donating your first paycheck of the year to the church, or maybe, you know, putting your donation first in your budget every week. Make sure that you're prioritizing God with your finances. Make it a priority. Again, probably means something a little bit different to each person based on how we're doing all of this behind the scenes, but do what you have to do to make God a priority in your finances. If I had to audit your bank account without knowing anything about you, right, would I be able to tell that you are a believer just by how you spend your money? 
would I be able to see? In numbers and dollar signs, in black and white, would I see God in your bank account? Would I see his heart and what he cares about? Would I see his house anywhere? The first fruits idea in the Bible teaches us that he is the priority. We need to treat him as such. Number four, <coughs> this one should seem obvious, but you have to actually do it. <laughs> A lot of us pray about it. We prepare to do it. We think we prioritize, and then we never actually follow through. This is one of those places where you intention doesn't really get you very far. You have to actually do this. Decide to do it here and now. Know where you're going to give the money to. Is there a specific fund at the church you want to contribute to? Is it the Freedom Foundation or the Events Fund? Or, you know, Candace mentioned we needed a tractor two weeks ago. Maybe I can give to that. That's the kind of thing First Fruits Offering should go toward, by the way. See, people often want to replace their tithes with their pet project at the church. It's not really biblically how that's supposed to work. Right? You give your tithes to the storehouse. That is the general fund, the, the church, the general fund. You trust your leaders and you trust God that it will go to what God is calling the church to. But first fruits is where you have a little leeway. Right? The extra. Give to something that you're passionate about. Still within the church, but it's a little bit less specific. Give to the clothing closet or Gettysburg Cares or the events. Something like that. So if you know of something that the church needs and you want to give to it, that's a great time and place. I know people who always give every single time when we come up here and say kids need a sponsorship to camp. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> like, they've planned for it. It's like they're just ready, waiting. When is she going to ask? Summer's coming. Cannot wait to write that check to send kids to summer camp. I love that. It's an excellent passion project. Investing in our young ones is always a great idea. But make a plan and follow through. Money is one of those places where intention doesn't matter a whole lot. You have to actually do it. Number five, repeat. Rinse and repeat. How often do you want to give a first fruits offering? This is traditionally an annual practice, but you can give as often as you'd like. Most farmers have more than one crop after all, right? More than one investment going. So logic would follow that multiple harvests happen, multiple first fruits should happen. And making it a part of your routine will help you keep it a priority. Not something you just do spontaneously or sporadically when you feel like it. Don't just do this once and forget the principle entirely. Build it into your life. Rich gave us his testimony of doing this for years. Right? There is a wealth of knowledge and trust and faith built in that. So many people, we, we, the first time we give, we step out with what little faith we have. We just give a little and say, God, ugh, it hurts, but I'm trusting you with it. But those of us who have been tithing a while know that you don't have to quite anymore. You don't have to be scared because God is so generous. I don't know anyone who tithes who isn't passionate about it. However you give, the key thing is that you're giving with an open heart and mind. The process of giving above your normal tithe can help prepare you for God to make a difference in your life. Making a first fruit offering demonstrates obedience to God rather than money. And with an understanding that Jesus did this first, like we're not doing anything God hasn't done himself. 
He gave us his best for us. He gave us his one and only son. He offered up his best as a living sacrifice. And it's for each and every one of us. When we really think about it, is he really asking us for more than what he has already given? Is he being unreasonable in his requests? This life of a believer is about reminding ourselves. People need to be reminded way more often than they need to be taught. Deep down, we know what we're supposed to do, really. And our entire lives should be about honoring God. But daily, our lives get loud and they get busy and hurried. We forget. This is why we build habits into our lives, to remind us who God is. He is the provider. Every time I sit down to eat, this is why we pray over our food, because every time we sit down to eat, it should be Holy Communion thanking Jesus for what he's done for us, breaking bread together and really honestly acknowledging that it is a blessing that we get to do so. It's communion. And that three times a day, every day we should be reminding ourselves, tithing every time we get paid, thanking God for that 90%, thanking him for the job that keeps food on the table, thanking him and acknowledging that all of it's really his. I'm just a steward. I'm just a flow through. Like Jake also said last week, God gives in pipes. His blessings flow through pipes, not into pots. We're just a flow through for the blessings. We don't get to take any of that with us into heaven someday. It's flowing through us. So of course I'm going to give it back to God. First fruits every time we get a bonus because he deserves our best. So before I call for other responses today, we're going to once again dedicate our gifts to God. We're going to set our hearts on offering our best. So ushers, you're going to go ahead and get ready. Come forward. What I want, what we're doing really is, is we're building this habit. It's not going to be at the end forever, but we're building a habit here. Right? What we get to see our offering as an offering, as a sacrifice that we give to God, as an honor and a privilege that we get to give to him. We're opting into his economy and out of the world's, right? This is a practice. And so as the ushers come forward, I want you to go ahead and get your gift ready. Maybe you, you give on your phone and you want to scribble on a piece of paper what you give and just as a symbol. I did not think that far ahead, so I'm going to hold my phone up today. So that's how me and my family usually give. But make this, take this seriously, right? Really look inward as I pray. Begin to thank God for what he's given. So let's pray together. Ushers, you can go ahead and pass those buckets. Father, as we give together today, we want to show you and acknowledge that we are taking this seriously, that we know who our blessings come from. That each and every one of them come from above. Every good and perfect gift, James 1 says, comes from you. So we thank you for that. We want to posture our hearts in gratitude every single day for that and really honor you as the provider. Thank you for giving us everything that you do. And God, use this little bit that we are giving back to you. Use it in my life as a sacrifice. Help me see all of the good things. Help me see other places that I can give and give cheerfully to the people around me. But also use it in the church, God. 
Turn my heart toward your house. Give me a love for your bride, the church, like never before. That I would want to make this place that I found you into a place where others can find you. That I would want to give my everything to it. God, build your church. Call people in from the streets. Let this be a place of peace and of freedom and of hope for the future for so many more. So many people in my life that need to know you. God, use this offering toward that. Bring us more people who believe in your mission and calling and want to invest into it for the future. God, bless my household and bless yours through me. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just a minute because I have a, a few more responses today. <clears throat> Maybe you're saying, you know, I haven't been giving God my best and I realize that now. We're specifically talking about finances today, but you can even look at this a little more broadly as you apply it to your life. I haven't been giving him my best, whatever area that applies to. But I want to repent today. I want to begin to see God as the amazing provider, deliverer, comforter, healer that he is. Truly put him on the throne of my life and start to bring him my absolute best. If that's you, would you just raise your hand today just as an acknowledgement? I know I haven't been giving him my best. I want to change that today. Thank you for those hands. You can put them down. And maybe today you, you've never given your life to Jesus. So we offer this at every service we possibly can because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He, I mean, you can opt into all the godly financial principles you want, but at the end of the day, the magic isn't in the principles. The, the magic, the supernatural power is in Jesus. He gave his life for you. He laid down his life so that you could find it. He wants to give you life and life abundantly. We just have to say yes. That's it. Let's confess with our mouth, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you came to die on the cross for my sins. Please forgive me. I messed up and I know it. I can't do it without you anymore. Come into my life. Make me a new creature. I trust you. If that's you today and you want to say that to Jesus, maybe it's been a long time or it's your very first time ever saying it, but if that's you, would you just raise your hand if you're in the room? I want to pray that prayer to Jesus today. Anybody else? I see that one. Keep it up just until you get a little card from the usher. This explains that decision a little more. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen. I'd love you to have all that information as well. Anyone else here today before we move on? Okay. Thank you. You all can go ahead and stand with me. Father, as we close out our service today, we just thank you and we praise you. Thank you that we do not have to be beholden to the locusts in our lives, that we don't have to live in the world's economy. We don't have to worry and, and fret about what may be coming because we stand on your promises. We are obedient to you. We give freely. We give cheerfully. We give our 10%. And God, we just ask that right now you would bless our households, that we would walk out of here feeling free and hopeful about the future. We wouldn't be so angry about how the world looks right now, but 
we'd get to know that you are for us, not against us. And we go out into the world giving that light, the salt and light of the world that Isaiah talked about before. That is us. We get to be the flavor, the fun, the preservation of the world. God, use us in that way. As we leave here today, we would be beacons of hope in our world, not naysayers, but we would get to tell people about the goodness of living for Jesus. It is so good. Thank you, God, for giving that to us. We thank you and we praise you. We honor you today with everything we do in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. 